You're listening to a Sunday morning sermon by Authentic Church. Good morning. After the summer break, we started a series on people who encountered Jesus. And so far, we've looked at Zacchaeus, the Samaritan woman at the well, and Nicodemus. And if you've missed those, you can listen to them online. Today, I want to start, though, with a reading from John 22:22. And the Lord said unto John, Come forth, and you shall have eternal life. But John came fifth and won a toaster. I'm dreadful at telling jokes. I'm so, so bad at telling jokes. It was the best I could come up with. And it was, what was funny was watching Roger's face because I was deliberately looking to see because there is no John chapter 22. There you go, look, there you go. I thought he, he suddenly went, if his face dropped, if you could have seen it, he's like, there is no John 22. And the Lord said unto John, come forth and you shall have eternal life. But John came fifth and won a toast. So I have to explain jokes. I'm so bad at them. So today we are going to look at Jesus and his encounter with a rich young ruler who came to him seeking an answer to a question about life and death. Now I've called him the rich young ruler, but from our reading today you'll see that it's not evident from Mark's gospel why he's called that. However, this encounter is also recorded in Matthew and Luke. And in Matthew he's called a young man, In Luke, he's referred to as a certain ruler, and all three say he was wealthy. Therefore, if you hear me refer to him today as the rich young ruler, but can't see why I'm calling him that from the Gospel of Mark and our reading, that's why. So let's read about this encounter in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, and the words are on the screen if you want them. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, I've all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. Follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So I always think as we're looking at encounters, well, who is this rich young ruler in the story? It's good to know our subject. But unfortunately, the Gospels really don't give us much. Some people, some commentators, suggest that he was a leader in a synagogue, but I must confess I couldn't find any direct evidence to support this. Therefore, other than what we already know, I really can't tell you much about him. But let's see if we can draw a picture of him, of his character, 
from his interaction with Jesus. Let's get a sense for who this man was. I think we can assume he was either quite excitable or desperate or both because he ran up to Jesus as he was leaving in verse 17. When was the last time you ran up to someone? I think we can probably assume he was quite humble. As we read, he fell to his knees in front of Jesus. Further, I think we can assume he's probably quite sincere and open and expectant as his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, was not a trick question. He was sincere and honestly wanted to know the answer. While young, he was clearly old for his age or a deep thinker as he was already worrying about life after death. And finally, I think we can assume he was devout and probably quite religious as he told Jesus he had kept certain commands, the commands relating to how we relate to others since he was a boy. And the last part reminds me of him. He gets straight to the point. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So we can assume he was excited or desperate, he was maybe humble, he was expectant, he may have been a bit old for his age, probably quite devout and direct. I quite like the sound of this young man. I quite like the sound of him. So how did Jesus respond to this question and this encounter? So how did Jesus respond. So let's take a look. Jesus first responds by asking if he knows the commandments. But it's worth knowing he only refers to the commandments relating to how we relate to one another. You should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal. How did the boy respond? Well, without a waiver or a pause, it would appear, he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. It's an emphatic response. There is no doubt in his mind. And I think we can assume Jesus believed him. He believed his sincerity. Because on hearing the young man's response, he does not chide him or judge him. But I wonder if the young man was curious why Jesus didn't quote all of the commandments. Why didn't he include the commandments about how we relate to God, which we see in Exodus 20, which are the you shalls. You shall not have any gods before me. You shall not make an image, uh, make an, yourself an image and worship idols. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. You shall keep the Sabbath. Why didn't Jesus ask him those questions? And I think somehow they made more presence by their absence. So what was Jesus up to? Has the young man maybe not kept these and Jesus didn't want to embarrass him? Or did Jesus want the young man to join up the dots for himself and draw his own conclusions? We don't know. But what we do know is when Jesus hears his response that he had kept them all since a boy, in verse 21 we read, Jesus looks at him and 
loved him. Let's just pause there for a minute. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What must it have been like to have the Son of God, God himself, look at him with the eyes of love? To stare into the eyes of God and see the look of love staring back at you. I don't think you can mistake that look. It's like the look of a parent for a newborn child, a spouse to their partner on their wedding day. I think the young man must have felt like he was accepted, that he had arrived. It was all going to be okay. He was loved. He was understood. Jesus knew where he was coming from. Bliss. He must have been so relieved and could not wait to hear Jesus' response given from that look of love. And then Jesus replies, One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What? Had he heard Jesus correctly? What a punch to the gut. Was that look of love a lie? How do you even respond to that? How did he respond to that? In the only way he felt he could. In verse 22 we read, At this the man's face fell. The pain, the sorrow, the anguish all summed up in one action. His face fell. He stopped looking into the eyes of love. And he went away sad. In truth, this is a heartbreaking story, a heartbreaking encounter. The young man was so very close, he almost had it all. And yet he ended up further away than he started. Pockets full of wealth, but a heart full of loss. But why? Why did he walk away? He walked away because we're told in verse 22, because of his great wealth. He didn't want to give up what he had. As one writer puts it like this, it's like the young man says to Jesus, no thank you. I'd rather have my gold than have God. I'd rather have my money than the master. I would rather have my riches than the redeemer. And this is the end of the encounter. There is no happy ending that we know of. This is the last we hear of him. We don't know how things ended up for this rich young ruler. But we do know he found the answer to his question. He just didn't like what he heard. I wonder in later life if he regretted it. I'm a big Christmas Carol fan by Dickens and some film versions and I've watched loads of them there's a scene where Ebenezer goes back and witness him breaking up with his fiance and you watch this scene played out on a park bench and he has his dialogue with his girlfriend his fiance and eventually the fiance leaves him and in this movie scene his fiancée walks off. And then you have the 
the old Scrooge, the old Ebenezer, encountering and watching this scene. And he's pleading with his younger self, don't let her go. Don't stop. Go and get her. I wonder if this rich young ruler in later life wished he could have gone back to that moment of encounter with Jesus. I want to go back to that moment and say, reconsider. Reconsider. So what can we learn from this? Well, I think there are three things. Firstly, I don't believe this story is about money. Jesus gave the man two answers to his question about obtaining eternal life. The first one, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. The second one was, then come, follow me. And I just want to be clear, selling everything will not bring you eternal life. Selling everything will not bring you eternal life. Following Jesus will. Following Jesus is the road to eternal life. It leads us to repent of our sins, accept Jesus as our saviour by faith and through grace, and we inherit the free gift of eternal life. It is that simple. And it is this life-saving decision and action and commitment that brings us eternal life. What Jesus correctly identified for the young ruler was the thing that would stop him from following Jesus, of making that commitment, was his love of his possessions that his great wealth bought him. The young man clearly demonstrates that he treasured his possessions more than he treasured heaven. Jesus knew he could not follow him and commit to him until he first gave up the thing that would prevent him from doing so. There are other people in Luke's gospel, we read, who responded similarly to the rich young ruler when Jesus called them to follow him. Luke 9, we read, someone says, follow me, Jesus says, and the person replies, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said to Jesus' call, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus called many to follow him, but not everybody did. And Jesus' responses to these would-be followers is in, in the same essence as it is to the young man. You can follow me if you put me first. If you put aside anything that would prevent you from doing it. Jesus asks the young man and these other would-be disciples to get their priorities right. And he asks us the same thing today. Is there anything hindering our following Jesus? Is there anything that's coming between us and God? Then Jesus says, give it up. So I think we can see that selling everything is not the critical requirement to eternal life. Wealth is not the primary problem here. Anything we choose to do 
that stops us from wholeheartedly following Jesus is going to be a challenge in being a disciple of Jesus. Secondly, what do I think we can learn from this? Well, we can follow all the religious laws, follow all of the moral codes of the day, follow all of the right social media channels, follow all of the great spiritual leaders of our time, and even more. But if we are not following Jesus, he gives us this warning in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name before many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus even warns people who say, Lord, Lord, and those who prophesy and drive out demons and perform miracles, they will not enter the kingdom of God. But only the one who does the will of his Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. And to achieve this, we have to follow Jesus and not all of the trappings that surround him. Let us avoid getting too absorbed in the mechanics of church of faith, of theology, or rules and regulations. Let us not lose sight of doing the will of the Father and humbly following Jesus. Let us not be like the young man in just observing the commands that make us look good in man's eyes, but first keep the greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with everything we have. It can be very tempting to follow the Christian ways of behaving without following the actual ways of Jesus. So let's keep coming back to him, to following Jesus. Thirdly and finally, following Jesus comes with a cost and we need to be prepared to sacrifice. And I'm not just talking about our finances. Put simply, sometimes you will have to give things up in order to follow Jesus. The young ruler did. This is an uncomfortable truth when we live in a culture that says now more than ever that we can have our cake and eat it. Jesus makes it clear, put me first. Returning to the Ten Commandments in Exodus, we read, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God wants all of us, our wholehearted, devoted attention and he's jealous when we put it elsewhere he wants our very best not just the bits we spare he wants our very best so we can fully enjoy his very best i've found in my life that when my hands are full of meeting my needs my wants, my desires, I have left space to carry God's. 
I've learned and I'm still learning that I have to put down my needs so that I can pick up God's. I do want to make it clear, though, that Jesus loved the man before he gave up everything. Before he followed him, Jesus loved him. So are our hands full of the worries of this world, things that are distracting us from following Jesus? Do we need to make space in our lives so we can fully experience more of God's life for us? So in conclusion, having read so many positive outcomes about people's encounters with Jesus, today's sadly is not. As one preacher put it, the young man came at the right time when he was young. He came to the right person, to the feet of Jesus. He asked the right question. He wanted eternal life. And he received the right answer. Jesus told him exactly what he needed to do. But the young man made the wrong choice. He lowered his face and walked away sad. He was not prepared to make the sacrifice that Jesus demanded to get the outcome he was so desperately seeking. Here was a man in the world's eyes who had it all, authority wealth, an open and inquisitive mind who treated people well. And he even had Jesus, God, look at him with eyes of love. But he ultimately turned his eyes away. He did not fix his eyes on Jesus, Jesus who would have been the author and perfecter of his faith. No, he fixed his eyes on his possessions and his wealth. And that is just what he left with, nothing but his wealth. Jesus makes demands of his followers. He makes demands of us. We need to be constantly course correcting to make sure we are following Jesus and not religion or our ministry or anything else that can distract us. Finally, Jesus' words to the rich young ruler are the same to us today. Come, follow me. So let's give up everything that prevents us from following and fulfilling that calling and let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen.